You're listening to the Pro Boy Podcast. Hello, Steve here. Welcome back to the Pool Boy Podcast for 2020. Of course, it's Olympic year and we are very excited about the swimming that we will see over the coming months. Uh, we hope to be with you much more often than we were in 2019 with more episodes of the podcast. And something we'll be doing is having more guests with us on the podcast this year. Uh, with that in mind, we'll get straight on with this episode. And since we last spoke to you, uh, after the European Short Course Championships, of course, we saw the very exciting final of the inaugural ISL season. Someone who knows all about that is James Gibson, who is the coach of the winning squad, Energy Standard. And Katie and I had a chat with him a little bit earlier just to get his views on the first season of the ISL. Uh, some thoughts on the new season of the ISL that will come later this year uh, and how things are going for him with his squad over in Turkey. So, without further ado, let's hear what he had to say. And I started by asking him uh, how he felt about that victory in Las Vegas. Yeah, it uh, was uh, was fantastic. Uh, I think yeah, anyone watching the ISL final will see. Um, uh, we had a little bit of lady luck at the end. Uh, I think London were well set up to take the first championship, um, but it just all come down to the last skins. And you know, uh, being involved in the ISL projects, obviously head coach of Energy Standards. Uh, we couldn't have wished for a, a more grandstand finish, to be honest, all coming down to the, the second last skin. Um, and so, yeah, for, for a show point of view, it was a fantastic for anyone watching, but it was a lot of high stress for me, I can tell you that. It was, I mean, watching on television, it looked like there was some some fantastic swimming. I mean, we saw a world record or two, uh, some British records as well from, from, from the British guys who were swimming for London. Uh, no, was there... Was the atmosphere and, and being part of the team really lifting everybody to, to, to give their best performances? Yeah, I think, you know, this is it's one thing in our culture in Britain that we've been a little bit removed from is this big team championship. So it existed 20, 30 years ago. Remember, we had GB club teams, we had big teams like Nova, City of Leeds, uh, guys going for the club championships. So that's kind of disappeared um, when more of the sort of the funding system took over and the high performance centers in Britain. But um, the NC2As in uh, the USA, we always see some fab- fabulous swimming. And um, a lot of our guys don't, re- well, the European guys are not generally exposed to that. And uh, I d- we definitely saw an increased level um, from the guys. And, you know, people are not swimming for themselves, they're swimming for the team. And, and we really saw that. Uh, uh, I know there was great prize money on offer, but um, actually, at the end of the day, when he, when Chad lifted the trophy at the end, he said that was more important to him than anything else. And uh, and you know, we're touching these great athletes in different ways that they've never they've never experienced before. And also myself as a coach, and that was a was a real eye-opening experience for me. Very difficult, very challenging, very stressful. Um, but uh, you know, we were very very pleased with the outcome. And must have been good to be able to draw on someone of the quality of Diaseto to to join your team for that last that last meet. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, with that, you know, actually, um, we were told all along that we'd never get a Japanese swimmer involved, uh, uh, just because of some political reasons. But um, Dayo did a lot of hard work with Dayo and his agents, and uh, they they were very, very, they were amazing right from the word go. And Dayo was very keen to be part of the system. Uh, but you know, with what we, what we did with Diaseto, we we announced right from the beginning that he'd be joining us for the final. 
I took a gamble. You know, I had to swim Naples with with uh, missing a breaststroker. So I was calling in Florent Manadusa, guys chefs off. We were calling in guys to off events uh, because we only had a certain amount of roster picks. And I, I gambled on us making the final and uh, so I could bring Daya in. But, we, you know, we were very transparent with that from the beginning. It wasn't panic tactics like trying to dr drag someone in at the last minute. Uh, so it was all very well planned out. And, uh, you know, Daya was fantastic. He came in and uh, he actually said that when he broke the world record, he could hear us all screaming for him down the last 50. And uh, uh, he even had his little energy standard tattoo on, which made us all very happy as well. You you kind of touched on what I wanted to ask you next there, really, in terms of how you set the team up and how you, how you balance your team out. It seemed, you know, as an observer, it seemed like energy was the team that kind of got the whole... Uh, ISL format and how the meets were going to work much better than some of the other teams. Had you done a lot of work on, you know, you talked about that one example, but had you done a lot of work on, you know, where the points were going to be won and how important, particularly the skins were going to be when you were assembling your squad? Yes, yeah, Steve. Well, well, it was clear to me right from the word go when the uh, the point system came out in uh, earlier on in 2019. It was clear that it was heavily weighted towards the relays and the skins. So, um, especially male and female freestylers. So I was quite aggressive in my recruitment phase, actually, just targeting those events. And uh, and if you see that we, we were actually quite weak in uh, a lot of the longer distance stuff. and uh, But that was all done with purpose because, that's you know, you make your ground on the double points. You make your ground on the triple points of the skins. And we were always very competitive in the women's skins, very competitive in the male skins. Even if we didn't win, we were generally second or third. And uh, that's where that's ultimately where we won the ISL. Um we actually won three meets all down to the last skins. And you, you could say we were lucky or was it just good tactics? Uh, but that was generally what we targeted from the word go. And, James, uh, what... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go on, Katie. Yep. What, what sort of um, percentage of, of the, the ISL team was sort of regular energy standard? And I know not everyone's with you all the time, but kind of regular energy standard team members as opposed to people who were coming in just for the ISL. So now I have uh, in my group now, like training Turkey today, I've got 14 people. Um, I consider them all uh, basically full-time athletes with us. And that's, a, that's actually quite a huge advantage in terms of, you know, exactly where people are at. Um, just, in, you, know, you, you know, as an athlete yourself, Kate, you, you can go through periods where you've been injured or sick. Um, and so I was actually able to gauge, uh, like, say, if someone's had a bit of a rough period, I could substitute them on, on events. You can easily pull them out of the meet and bring in other people if I needed to. And that's exactly what I did. And uh, I think, you know, with the whole ISL concept, you're going to see more of that in the future, especially the 2020-2021 program. We're looking at it's going to run from September to April. So uh, people are going to be on the road a lot better and the more and the, uh, the head coaches have a lot more intimate knowledge of exactly where their, their squads are at and who's who. Um, but this will just evolve more over time. And we're, we're kind of a little bit in front of the game on that, but that's that's no accident really is kind of how, how the group's set up. And do you think, um, it, obviously it gives you an advantage in that you know exactly where your swimmers are, but do you think in terms of creating a real feeling of team, it was an advantage that Energy uh, had that, that you know none of the others could quite replicate this year? To be honest, um, in terms of team, I, I don't, I don't really force a team building. Like I, I see, I'll be honest, I see a lot of forced fun. Um, we're not the way I run my team is that we, we respect people from different cultures, and some people are not rah rah and team chanting, and uh, I kind of just let the guys handle themselves. And 
some people are quiet. They don't want to be disturbed. Some people are, are louder. And you kind of let the team evolve organically rather than force them to be happy and go lucky. And uh, that's kind of how I did things this year. And it seemed to work really well. And um, by the end, they were all having the time of their lives. And they came together naturally as opposed to just forcing them all on each other. But definitely, you know, having people in that environment a lot more, they, they know each other more. They know each other better. They are more friendly. So, yeah, of course, you, you get a, a, a little bit more of a stronger bond. You obviously have quite a sort of multinational squad. You alluded to it there. You know, some a couple of Brits. We'll talk about them a bit more in a minute. Uh, obviously, Chad Leclerc pops in and out. Uh, you know, people from the Ukraine and, and Flora Manadou from France. Um, how does that work in, in terms of you know, them spending time with you. Some of them come in and go work with other coaches as well. How do, how do you manage all that? Well, we um, basically we have uh, the guys that are with us now are with us pretty much 80, 90% of the time. Uh, so your chads, your flows, um, they're, they, they, they're with us. Basically, if they're not here, they're still following all the programs. That we write uh, Sarah the first start of the year. She's had a week at home. She'll be like eight, seven weeks here, one week at home. Um, but you know, with, with the environment that we work in, um, one thing I did realise when I first took on the project was it's, it's quite hard to keep. We have a very intense environment. So we we live in a high performance centre. They uh, they have their own rooms, they have food, uh, all their meals cooked for, the gym is in-house, the swimming pool is one minute away from their rooms. So it, we, we basically train in a, in a five-star resort, that's, but in that in itself, it's very intense. So what we do is you have to let them come in and out and appreciate that this is not necessarily home. And um, I made some big mistakes my first year. I tried to keep uh, everyone in-house the whole time, and uh, you realize that you you're keeping, you're creating a negative environment that you see absolutely amazing facilities, amazing coaching, amazing staff, uh, unlimited physiotherapy access and everything. But for some people, it's too much. They need to live their lives. And, and everyone's different. And, you know, Steve, um, it's, it's trying not to treat everyone as the same person. It's trying to work with the individual, work with the person and not necessarily the athlete. And We've had fantastic results from people that will spend three weeks of us go home for two weeks, three weeks, and then one week because they have to be human beings at the end of the day. And we also have people that just want to stay. They, they don't want to leave. They, they just love the environment that we have and we can provide for them. Um, so as a team, I, I tend to just work with everyone individually and try not to treat everyone as the same and the, the same mold and um, especially with, the uh, you know, their lives and, and it's one thing I picked up working with British Swimming and Nigel Redmond and like the elite sort of uh, performance learning that I did in work when my, in my time there and it's kind of like it becomes even more apparent in this environment with people from different cultures because I'm a guy that grew up in East London um, my view of the world is totally different from a, a young boy that I coached that grew up in Eastern Ukraine and I can't see the world like he sees the world and he can't see the world like I see the world. So we tend to just meet each other halfway on things. And, and I, it took me a bit of time and I think made some huge mistakes at the start um, at the Project Energy Standard. But now I've got it all figured out and I'm very happy with the sort of the, the balance that we have leading into Tokyo. And in terms of swimmers coming into your squad, um, 
like even in a, a club environment when you can go home at the end of the day as as you say it can be very intense and it can be quite difficult to get the right balance of personalities you know to keep everyone happy to keep egos happy um how do you you must get you know a huge number of people wanting to come and train you do you and how do you keep that balance well this is a fortunate thing Katie you know um well we can we can just we can choose who we work, want to work with now and uh uh, I, I have good people, um, and you know what? Sarah Shostrums, your Chad the Close, your Floral Manadus, your Pernell Blooms—they're nice people. You know that what you see on Instagram and uh, and the world, your perceptions of people is different. But you know, we work with people that want to work with us. Uh, we don't aggressively recruit. We've never really recruited athletes. Um, we we work with people that have come to us, of course, uh, but. You know, it, I, I, we can choose, and that's and I, I, I like a, a nice balance. And so we have we have some non-negotiables. We like hard-working individuals with good values, uh, and respectful respect the staff. And you know, generally, in, in the swimming world, there's not many too bad eggs, to be honest. I haven't really come across uh, some people that are necessarily too hard work. But again, at the end of the day, I like I do have. Uh, well, I say 14, 15 people to look after. So I like good team harmony. And if some people don't fit that 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 sort of mold, then you know we 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 can always work with other people. And um, you've obviously had you know the ISL being one good example, but but you know just performances generally a lot of success out of that program. Now now it's sort of bedded in. Do you think? Um, other people might be looking at the model that you've got and, and that we might see more kind of professional, inverted commas, teams sprouting across Europe? Well, definitely. Well, that's the goal with the ISL. Like now, now there's going to be 10 professional clubs uh, for this season. And, you know, the long-term goal is that all these clubs will be able to sustain a project like Energy Standard. And, uh, you know, the, in, we're already seeing... Um, uh, uh, clubs being offered free pool time, um, access by councils within Europe. Uh, there's, there's definitely some nations in Europe that are very pro-swimming, Italy and France. And um, we, we're definitely going to see something grow from this. Um, like, swimming's been needing something for a few years. Like we, we've, we've always talked openly about esports and the Olympics. And, you know, there, there's got to come a point where the, the old-fashioned Olympic sports need to need to evolve somehow and if we don't like my son my son is nine years old and he's in love with computer games and uh social media and everything and uh, i think you know there comes a point where these old-fashioned sports really need to set themselves up and try something new and this is what the isl is doing the isl is given a platform for say if we have 10 professional teams in the world then ultimately if the leagues the system is going to go on from September to April, then there's going to be more time where people can get, well, the elite can get together. It doesn't matter if you're British, French, Spanish, American, you can get together more often. And we haven't really seen any detriment to performance either. Like the ISL season finished in December, we had world records. And uh, to be honest, everyone that swam well in the ISL was just catapulted into the Olympic season quite well. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's just unknown. I think, uh, no one really knows. Uh, we can make assumptions. There's too much racing, too little racing. But ultimately, we need to make the support marketable. And the only way to make the support more marketable is to be have more airtime. And that's kind of what the, that's what the ISL is about. 
Um, James, what what are your thoughts on, I mean, I think the first year of the ISL has been massively successful. I think it had great coverage. It was a really, really fun event to watch. But in terms of the swimmer experience, I was wondering whether one of the effects of it might be that we get fewer retirements immediately after the Olympics, just because there's that extra really fun event and a chance for swimmers to make a little bit more money. Um, what are your thoughts on that? No, abs absolutely. Like we're, 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 we're now in the middle of recruiting for... Um, uh, season 2020 2021 and um you speak to people and you know they always they always thought i was going to retire at the olympics but you know they they start the isl season will start early september so they can carry on their career for another six months and they can make very good money um and again like it's it's becoming you know where, where swimming was a few years even four or five years ago to where it is now it's completely changed the FINA Champion Series was just gone, which was obviously a reaction to the uh, well, the inauguration of ISL. That's sixteen thousand dollars a win for the athletes. Um, you know, the the prize money at the short course and long course World Championships has gone up dramatically. The ISL money, so you know, it's not uncommon to see good level swimmers earning over a hundred thousand dollars a year now. And you know, you know, that's that's a huge change on even in three years. Uh, when you know the athletes, the swimmers of the world were just trying to rely on their lottery funding, and that's actually good for the sport, and it and it helps, you know, it gives gives the swimmers a little bit of more independence, a little bit more say on their career rather than being just uh, held to held accountable to one one sort of revenue stream. You've uh, you've touched on on next year's ISL season, and and I don't know how much you know you're able to share, but obviously we know that there will be ten teams next season. We know that the season will be, will be much longer. Um, do, you know, are you uh, you know recruiting with that in mind, with people coming and going through the through the season, and, and you know approaching it in a different way to you to the way you approached last season, which was much sort of shorter and sharper. Well, it's actually quite it's actually quite a challenge now because this is completely unknown for everyone. And uh, yeah, there's going to be ten regular season meets, um, uh, one playoff between all the all the clubs, like kind of the European or USA derby that we had before, and then a, a grand final. So it looks like twelve meets, and uh, of course. It's people have obligations, people have other things. We want to keep the teams uh, as stable as possible, like a football team. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo can't turn around to Juventus and say, oh, I'm not going to play that weekend or, or that weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm busy going to my friend's birthday party or something. We want to, we're trying to, we're trying to make it very professional. Uh, but we also recognize we're early and it's starting. So there will be people coming and going on certain meets. It's, uh, uh, a travel, travel as well. We, you know, if you've got swimmers from Australia, it's difficult for them to keep, you know, just flying and fly up for a weekend. Um, so yeah, it, it, each team has like a 40 roster pick, so you can recruit 40 swimmers. Um, so that's 400 swimmers in total worldwide uh, will actually be part of the um, ISL system next year, which is a huge amount. Um, and also on top of that, you've got uh, the, the relative staff. So in fact. Probably over over 500 people from the swimming world will benefit financially from ISL 2020 2021. I mean, it's uh, it sounds like a, a great prospect in store, and we'll we'll look forward to seeing how that plays out uh, later in in 2020. Uh, before then, of course, we've got the Olympics coming up, which I'm sure is very very much on your 
uh, on your thoughts with your swimmers at the moment, James. Um, yeah. Particularly, uh, you know, with our, our British Union Jack hats on, we're interested in, uh, in in Ben Proud and Georgia Davies, who we train over there with you. Um, they came off the ISLCs and European short course end of last year. Uh, and into the, the long course competition uh, a couple of weeks ago. How how are you finding the transition uh, you know, from the small to the big pool? Well, well I can talk about my, my group as a whole. First off, no, we had, um, like I said, we finished off the ISL season very well, and there was actually quite a good feel-good factor leading into 2020. Um, we had a good training camp in Cape Town, uh, and then we flew back to Luxembourg, and then uh, just generally most of my guys were – were all, all sort of like the best ever they've been in January. Uh, but, you know, uh, with Ben and Georgia, uh, specifically, uh, Georgia got uh, sick on the day of travel, so um, we managed just to race her the 50 backstroke. That was it. And Ben had a, was a, had a bit of sickness to start the season off as well. So the guy, you know, the, from a British perspective, um, we could, you know, we, we'd like to avoid the illness, but sometimes that happens, especially at this time of year. Uh, the guys are tr- back here training uh, very well, and you know, they've just got a, a slow, steady build up through to April, and then take care of April, get April out of the way, uh, and then just have a, have a nice, slow build through to the Olympics. I think with the Olympics, uh, I've learnt my lessons as well. With the Olympics, you just don't generally change too much. You know what works for the athletes. Don't get excited. Don't overtrain them, um, and keep them in a in a good place for the majority of the year. And normally, that's the the recipe for success. Obviously, there are some uh, some fairly uh, tough selection times they'll have to get over in April. Something that that you would have experienced when you were swimming uh, you know, back back in the days of, of Bill Sweetnam. Um, how how do you structure the season with that in mind? Bearing in mind that they've got to swim pretty much best times in in April to 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 make sure they get the spot um, for Tokyo. So, well, Steve, to be honest with you, with the British team now, I give I gave up a long time ago looking at the actual selection times. I don't even know what they are. Um, it's just literally on the fact that everyone assumes that you know they're going to be very very hard times, and the guys are going to go and swim that try and swim their best regardless. And uh, I think when we, you know, I just figured out with the athletes, the more you chase times and the more you put pressure on them, and the more you talk about it, it actually makes things worse. So um, it's an assumption. It's just an assumption in your program that you're going to swim fast in April, that you're going to go and try and do best times. And that's what I try and do with all of my athletes, to be honest. Um, we got them from all over the world. So um, we don't generally look at what the time is because we, we can't control what the selection time is. But we just put our effort into making sure that the athlete is as prepared as possible to, to go there and sw- swim at their best. But generally what we found with all the last three years that our guys will will normally swim quite solid in April, but they, we, we make huge drops down in, in the summer. And that's been the same for the last three years. The, the big drops for us always come in the summer, but um, the, 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 obviously we need to make sure that they, you know, there's no errors in April and that they'll be, they'll be good to go. For you as a coach, is it um, having such a sort of multinational team, is it difficult managing the team in terms of everyone heading for their, their different dates of Olympic trials? Well, it's actually this year, uh, it's, actually, it's actually felt fallen quite well because we have a steady, steady run. So we have uh, Danish nationals, Swedish nationals, South African nationals and British and French. The only clash we have is the British and French nationals. And then we have a lot of guys going to European long course, which is 
for their Olympic selection, which is a bit of a, a softer meet because it's a fantastic facility, fantastic pool, and uh, generally people perform better in internationals anyway. Um, but no, we, we, you know, we, we, it's, a, it's a something that can, you know, there's clashes that can happen. There are headaches, but this year we've been we've been quite lucky, and everyone's all kind of on a more of a streamlined program. So everyone peaking in April, and then uh, then hard work down towards the Olympics in Tokyo. If we, if just coming back to, to Ben for a minute, obviously we see him swimming 50 fly, you know, when uh, you know worlds and, and whatever you are coming on this year, he'll he'll only have the the option individually, probably uh, the 50 free. Um, does that change the training that you that you do with him, if, or do you does it you know not really have any effect? No, no, with Ben, it's, uh, it, it changes nothing. You know, generally with Ben, when he's good, he's good. You know, if it's if he swims a great 50, like say the Commonwealth Games. In uh, 2018, he was 47.7 in the relay on the 100, and it was it was obviously fantastic in his 50s. Um, and it's the same it's the same I found with most athletes. When they're on, they're on. When they're slightly off, you know, the off distances are a bit more of a struggle. So uh, with Benny, uh, it's clear we know what his strengths are. We know what he's good at. He's got uh, three absolutely fantastic uh, sprint training partners to work with. Um, I think the, the fourth guy in my group is still 20 point short course. Um, so they all they all keep themselves incredibly honest. And uh, uh, I think, you know, there's, there's one thing with training with a high performance group, you, you know, it's difficult every day to see work with great athletes um, and constantly be reminded of, 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 of your level, but it does keep everyone honest. Like we can we I have Simonis Billis, uh, Florent Manadou, Ben Prowse, Sergei Shevsov, and they're all four of the best freestylers in Europe at the minute, and that they, they just function well as a unit, and they kind of, because they're, they're four good boys, very respectful guys, and they, they, they actually push each other up, and uh, sometimes it's a pleasure to watch them, and to be honest, sometimes I don't, don't even think they need me on the side of the pool, they can just work on their own, um, because they're, they're such a good, nice, nice little unit. Uh, and in terms of Georgia, obviously she's she's been swimming a long time, um, uh, and yet she's still improving. Do you think, you know, the the opportunity for swimmers to extend their career um, is, you know, giving them the chance to, to to swim faster? I mean, you know, often swimming has been a young person's sport, particularly for ladies, and uh, you know she swam best times in the last eighteen months. Um, uh, you know, even though let's say she's a bit older than, than perhaps some of her competitors. So, would you put that down to just the environment, or just the opportunity, or, or what? No, I think it's just the opportunity. Like um, Georgia was going to retire after Rio. That was what her plan was, and uh, she swam through with me until uh, it was a Windsor. She got a medal at the World Short Course, and then she came out uh, to have a look at uh, what we had here, and she carried on through to the site. And then she was obviously, I think it's a big powerful thing being Scottish or Welsh you carry on for your last Commonwealth so she said I'll carry on to 2018 and she just seemed to get better and better um, and I think you know that we swimming we've, 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 jet, we've tended to put a limit on age um, over over time and I, I guess back a few even 10 15 20 years ago you, you went to university uh, just to extend your swimming career and when you were done with university you go and get a job but now these guys because it's increased revenue stream and it's difficult 
you know, what now is, you know, if with the ISL season coming up, if you get invited to the FINA Champions Series, there's no reason to retire. There's, it's, it's very, very good money for these guys. And, and it's fantastic because they're actually getting a little bit more respect now in the world of sport. And Georgia's a fantastic athlete. And had she retired after Rio, she, you know, she's missed some of the best years of her life. And she's going into this year, um, you know, as one of the best, she, she, best swimmers in the world. And, you know, even if she's not ranked highly on paper, uh, she's always competitive, Georgia. Like, even at European short course this year, she was like fifth into the final or sixth, she wins a bronze. Uh, world short, world long course last year finished fourth by two hundredths of a second. That was a that was a kick in the teeth. Uh, but just to miss a medal that, but she got a medal in the in the mixed relay. She got a world championship medal. Um, year earlier, almost broke the world record in the fifty backstroke. And uh, you know she's she's a fantastic swimmer. And, and if she didn't have this opportunity, maybe with Energy Standard or to to or maybe with ISL or have an extra little bit of money, she would have retired after after 2016, and we would have never have seen the best Georgia Davis. James, you're talking about the sort of, you know, the way that things go, and in the UK, you know, you extend your swimming career by, by finding somewhere where you can swim and study and go to university. The ISL, if, you know, all goes to plan, it's giving people that opportunity to have, to really experience that team atmosphere while still swimming and possibly earning a living for themselves, which is something which hasn't really been impossible um, unless you go to like a US university or something do you think this is going to affect people's choices going forward perhaps the way that they choose to extend their careers yeah absolutely I think it's I think it's just human nature you'll 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 finish your university because we you know you know certain countries so the American uh, NC2A swimmers they can't swim ISL because that affects their college eligibility but uh, in Britain it's a bit different than around the world but I think you'll see it's just human nature, isn't it? You you see the amount if there's money on offer, you people will tend to follow uh, where they can make a living and also where they they can have fun and be successful. And it will become down to the clubs that can provide sort of a great learning environment, a fun training environment, but also deliver fantastic results. You, you'll see swimmers just be attracted to those sort of places. And uh, and I guess you know if I go back in time when I was an athlete, I'd be exactly the same. And I think, you know, most people, you know, if you see some place where you can, if you see a club or you can, you can have fun, you can earn great money, um, you can create a life for yourself, then you, you'll probably follow those choices and those paths. Well, James, it's been fascinating talking to you and hearing your, your thoughts on the ISL in particular and, and the squad over there at Energy. So uh, thank you very much for your time. It's been great talking to you. Um, and uh, we'll leave you to uh, your evening in Turkey and say thank you very much and uh, all the best for the Olympic season. Thanks, guys. Real pleasure. And thanks for having me on. Thank It's much appreciated. James Gibson there giving us his thoughts on the ISL and a few other areas besides as I said at the top of this podcast, we hope to be back with you more often than we were last year. And with that in mind, we should be with you again in just a few weeks when we'll have another special guest with us and we'll have a look at the swimming that's taken place so far in 2020. In the meantime, if you want to get in contact, then you can find me on Twitter at Poolboy or on Facebook at facebook.com slash poolboyuk. Or if you want to send an email, you can go to poolboy.co.uk forward slash contact. Until the next episode, thanks for listening.
You've been listening to the Pool Boy Podcast. For more episodes, visit www.poolboy.co.uk slash podcast.